Welcome to Unexpressed, where we express the inexpressible. My name is David White, and I'm the publisher at Whitefire. Over the years, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with some really amazing people, very talented authors mostly, who have a unique view of the world. Our focus has been on the things that are important and challenging, viewed through the lens of storytelling. Our readers and our listeners are a part of that process. So if you're like us, and you're looking for a podcast that will challenge you and encourage you to challenge yourself, you've come to the right place. Today, we talk to author April McGowan. Her books, Jasmine, Macy, Hold the Light, and her most recent, Shine the Light, touch on many socially relevant topics that we also talk about today, like homelessness, foster care, adoption, and mental illness. We also talk about how her living with a chronic illness affects and informs her writing. We're on today with April McGowan, uh, author of quite a few books with us. Most recently is Shine the Light. Am I getting that right? Yep, that's correct. Okay. And hold the light before that and uh macy and her first book with us was jasmine um quite a few years ago so yeah that's been a while um yes so i I guess where i've been starting with everybody is the basic question that i I more or less stole from both you and kara uh, licked in various ways is why do you choose to write about the things you choose to write about um i was really shocked with kara because (laughs) She didn't really seem to to have an answer exactly. She said, I just free write. I'm really curious to see what other people think about this when when they hear it. But she free writes like 100 pages before she even realizes what her story is going to be about. Wow, Um, that's interesting. So, you know, how do you choose what you write about? I think you're probably a little bit more deliberate about it. I I am. I I feel really deeply about certain subjects and about hurting people, not that I want to hurt people, but people that are hurting. And, um, if, you know, did I make sense? I think I make yes, sense. Yes, absolutely. So, so I really have a heart for people that are in pain, whether it's physical pain or emotion, and especially emotional pain. I think we can deal with a lot of things physically um, and we can barrel on, but it, it can start to wear you down emotionally. And I think that's where our, all of our breaking points are, is that emotional um, ness where you feel that hopelessness, and um, I've been there, and I, I, it's my heart's desire that people know that even if they're hurting, and even if they, um, you know, are, are at their last, that uh, God hasn't left them. So, I and uh, I think, I think we've done a, a poor job communicating that as a Christian community, um, and I think. There's things that have snuck into our culture that says, well, if you just had faith enough, you'd you'd have your best life now. And, you know, all those kinds of little um, platitudes that that hurt and they make the person that's suffering feel like it's their fault. And if they only had their act together better, if they only um, prayed better or um, and I'm talking mostly to the Christian community there, then, then, then things would be smooth. And we're not really promised that. I've never, ever seen, you know, once you commit to God in the Bible, that your life's going to be cake. That's not in there. Um, but I think that's something that we've marketed to the community. And the community at this point of, you know, especially in America, is really hurting. Um, yeah. And I think those ideas are hurtful to people more than helpful. And I think that puts the pressure of 
our mental health, our physical health, everything's on our shoulders and we have to muster up. And and then if we don't do good enough, then then God's just not going to listen to us. So anyway, that, that's at the heart of everything. And then I just... I pick up and I absorb other people's stories. Yeah, um, actually, let's 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 come back yeah. to to that because okay, you, you gave so much there, and I can almost hear I guess people. Um, I can think of a handful yelling back, yelling, <laughs> yelling in a very wait, polite wait. way. Sure, just that uh, that you know the Bible does say that you know that God will heal us if we you know this this and this. I. I Sure. I'm blanking on the exact reference, but you know, they never say he may heal us. He says he will heal us. I've, I've heard that. Yeah. That argument before. And that, I mean, to me, I look at that and think the, the words say that, but it is so contrary to my experience that we have to be misunderstanding. Yeah. Those I, words I think, somehow. I think so too. And I always go back to um, Mark and I think it's in chapter eight. Um, where whenever anybody starts saying, well, if you just had more faith and I, in Mark chapter eight, the little girl dies and uh, Jesus shows up and he says, oh, she's just asleep. And they're like, oh no, no, you know, and, and, but being asleep is another way of saying that she's passed, but he's given a little more peaceful um, turn of phrase, I guess. But the little girl didn't believe and her parents were mocking Jesus because they're like, she's dead. And the neighbors were also mocking. And even the apostles that were with him were like, she's gone, man. And because they didn't really understand who he was. So nobody there had faith except for Jesus. So whenever we take that on ourselves, yes, we should pray and we should ask in full belief that if that is according to God's will and purpose, then he will take care of those things in our lives. And he will one way or the other on this side or on the other side of the curtain. Um, but we put a lot on if we were just better than he'd listen to us. And it's not true. He does listen to us. He just has a purpose. He even has a purpose for suffering. And that's to draw us closer to him. That's to make us rely on him more. It's not out of cruelty. It's out of wanting to love us and to have a personal relationship with us where we're trusting him no matter what. And when we do, he can use us in a great way to affect other people's lives. Yeah. And I think so the idea of removing suffering is sort of ridiculous, right? I mean, if that was the thing, Jesus wouldn't have suffered himself. I mean, correct. And none of the apostles would have suffered at all. And they all I think everybody died pretty badly. And even, you know, Lazarus, he came back, but eventually he still died. And so even if we do get healing on this side, it still, in effect, doesn't matter because eventually we're going to pass and then we'll be made whole and well and healed in heaven in a way that we really can't experience here at all because there's just so much stuff weighing on us. Yeah, and I think, and I'm not quite sure where you were going to go before I mm -hmm. interrupted you, but I think no, that okay. sometimes the, the use of suffering is really interesting because, for example, if you didn't have the experience you did, you wouldn't have the same empathy and compassion that oh, you then heaven. try yeah, to, to not just have for other people, but now, now also want to share with other people. Yeah, uh, I had 
I got some kind of flu thing and oh. and I'm I'm feeling much better today. Yesterday was my first day back on my feet. So I, I think I'm hanging in there, but it's like um I get other people's antibodies. So those folks had had the flu. So I just kind of got this level of sickness where, you know, body aches and fevers, but it never went south. So that's good. So that's interesting. I'd never, never realized that you also get that you get, I, I guess I never knew quite how all that worked. So Oh yeah. It's um, so uh, people donate plasma to infusion centers that collect antibodies and then they clean that plasma best they can. There's always a risk, but they clean it. And then um, it gets sent, different companies have different collection sites and it gets sent and they chemically do their things and um, preserve it in whatever way they want to preserve it. Um, and I say that because I thought it was all the same and it's not because um, I used to get really, really super sick on the other one and I'm not as sick on this one. So, and then every two weeks um, I have a pump and an infusion kit with needles and I hook myself up and I get other people's antibodies pumped into me. It takes about two hours and then and then I'm good for a couple of weeks and then it starts to go downhill again and then I got to refill because when it's other people's antibodies your body flushes them out right. um so and it doesn't train my antibodies like you have T and B cells so if a if a microbe or a germ comes in those T and B cells are like hey I recognize that go go get that and mine are like hey cool come sit on the couch so no. yeah they're I call them my lazy hippies they just they're really groovy and do nothing. So I'm just, uh, but oh. yeah, so, and it comes from a pool of 20,000 to 60,000. So I have 20,000 to 60,000 people's antibodies at any given time. And hopefully they've had what's going around. So That's really interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. I wonder, do they know? Like, okay, this one's going to, you're going to be covered for. No, there's no that. way. No, they don't know which what's in there. It's it's just a, it's just a, a pool of who whatever sample, and sometimes you know it's people that you you get paid for that because it's like a really big process to donate donate plasma. Sure. Because they have to they hook you up and they give you your blood back. They just take the plasma out. Well, that's weird. And, okay. And so um, it's like a two to three hour process. So they'll often pay. So I'm probably got a lot of street people's antibodies in me so that's interesting and i try not to worry <laughs> i'm sure you've had a lot of time to uh philosophize on on that and yeah i have actually that means. yeah it's kind of a curiosity but no, anyway i've been doing it for 10 years so yeah some people go their whole life being sick and i did until i hit 40 and then um it's like my body carried me to that point and was like okay i'm all done yeah. And I got really, really ill, and I started to get pneumonia after pneumonia. And that's when um, they went, hey, let's do a blood draw and see what's going on. And if they would have done that when I was, say, 5 or 10, I could have been treated a lot sooner, and I would have faced a lot less sickness. Because my typical year is uh, was bronchitis like six or seven times a year, and I thought that was normal. And and no, some people never get bronchitis. And I'm like, what? That is so bizarre. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, I wonder how many people may have some version of something like that and just never know it. Yeah, well, they, they say it's one in 50,000, but um, they said if testing was more accurate, it'd be about one in 20,000 people. 
And so, um, which is a, a whole whole lot, really, when you start to think about it. Yeah, yeah. And I want, but I have. I met a friend um, who was very very sick, and so um, I said, "You sound a lot like me." And she went and got blood work done, and she was. Um, she does have a primary immune condition, and her doctor told her if she hadn't started to, if she hadn't got that diagnosis where they would then treat her immediately rather than letting her get sick all the time because it's always the doctors want to hold on to the antibiotics and they don't want you to yeah oh they don't want to give out antibiotics even if you've been sick really often because it mutates things so sure um they would just let her get pneumonia and, and um and her doctor said well if you get pneumonia one more time you'll you'll die and i'm like well that's really nice <laughs> to tell somebody. So uh, she went and got tested and she, she did have a condition. She can't, it's very close to mine. She can't, she's allergic to the IgG product that I, that we use. So she can't do that. So she has to be super careful. But now that she's got that diagnosis, she gets them to pay more attention to her. So, uh, and take her seriously versus, oh, you're overreacting. Oh, go home. You're fine. You know, that's that's oh. interesting though. It seemed like back when I was a little bit younger that they would give out antibiotics like it oh was like candy. crazy yeah like when we were kids they they would but not anymore. Now it's like well have you been sick for at least a week? That's that's their thing. Interesting. And they'll yeah, always cause... ask if you have a fever. And most of my people until you start getting um, antibody treatments, you don't produce a fever. You, you, I had pneumonia multiple times with no fever whatsoever. So, cause your body's not reacting. So. Yeah, I think I've only ever had it once and I was 10 oh, or 11. I, I do not remember anything about it besides like, this is what death must feel like to a degree. Oh, like you, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a really, maybe three times in my life I've had something where I've like, I can't breathe and this isn't good. <laughs> right you kind of need the air yeah i mean one time was funny uh, you know the the pneumonia thing wasn't funny at all but one right. time I, I breathed in grape jelly oh no oh no and it, i just spent like 45 minutes to an hour gasping for breath thinking this is a really stupid way to, to like, die aspirate and die right well did you get an infection because that's really scary if you did that no no, no that's again good. i was i was younger at, yeah. when i did that and i didn't tell anybody about it you know? oh no <laughs> it's like <laughs> i was embarrassed mom. oh right yeah yeah i think uh i think i was out we our family had a construction company and i was hungry and they had a packet of grape jelly in one of the lunch boxes i was like oh i'll just eat that and i went <laughs> and i slurped it in oh jeez. it was it was horrible, and I sort of went and hid in one of the cars until I felt like oh, I was. Oh man, you yeah. could have choked yourself to death. What a way to go! Grape jelly. Right? Grape yeah. jelly. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you think it's a miracle any of us are alive for more than fifteen oh, minutes. Heavens, yeah. It's, I've I've almost been dead multiple times, even before I knew I was alive. So yeah, it's 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 amazing any of us are here at this point. So, yeah, I think my writing's changed some. Um, I was very empathetic in my first book um, towards my character, Jasmine, and everything that she's gone through. But I think over time, you grow as a writer, and you grow um, in a way that helps you express things a little bit better. And um, I find over time, my writing's got a lot more um, expressiveness. Um, I actually took a bunch of poetry 
classes, breakout groups, and read a bunch of poetry because I really wanted to grow in um, in description. And I can see in the work that I'm working on right now, it's very different than than even Shine the Light was. Um, so over time, I've gotten I've gotten more expressive um, in the environment versus not just how people are feeling. So I, I get the environment to express also the emotion. It's kind of like being really in deep of a lot of different kinds of metaphor. So um, then, yeah, so the answer is yes, it's different, but um, my main concerns are always still the same focus. So so you don't um, think that the, the concerns have changed too much? Like the, it seemed, I don't know, It maybe it's just been too long since I've read Jasmine, but it seemed mm -hmm. like, you know, you were very, very much like in her head and, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember what my abiding feeling was with that. Yeah, it, I'm not sure I'm, I'm expressing myself very well, because like I say, it's okay. been, that's been years since I've read that. But, you know, she was a very different character and, you know, the, the subjects seemed like very different things and what the direction you've come to do that. It, and I, I guess I was wondering, maybe more particularly was, do your own life experiences, has, has that changed and changed the way that you've, you've approached oh, some of this? Absolutely. Then? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm drawing more on my own experiences and my own emotional story and um, embedding that into the character. Um, I think uh, that's how I love to write when I call it writing real. I've taught some classes on it. It's when you can take your own experiences and, and mold them over your character. Um, and if you're drawing from your, not, not say I've never been homeless. I've never been a drug addict. I've never, you know, but um, I do deal with depression. So I know a little bit about that and I, I am chronically ill. So I know about suffering in a certain way and I can take those core emotions to how I feel about those things and put them into the character in a more realistic way. So even though I'm, I haven't lived that life, I can still put my own emotional story into it. And I think that really deepens um, things and makes them more connectable to the reader. Um, I'm, I'm always hearing that, that they go away, readers go away worried about the character or excited about the character, wanting to know what happened because it seems to feel so real. And I, I think, um, I think that's an opportunity every writer has is to put themselves into a story in an anonymous way, but also in a real way. I, it's it's a weird kind of murky line, I guess, because um, some people are like, well, you must have dealt with this. And I'm like, well, no, I dealt with something like that. And so I just use those same emotions to make sure that it felt sincere. And uh, and that also helps me stay real to the character and true to the character and their story so that um, when they're talking, um, they're being as honest as they can be and as real as they can be. Um, so it feels foundational, like they're an actual person. So and they feel like an actual person to me. So that's easy. Yeah. So I, I, and I guess sometimes it's sort of a, a question of what is real about a person. And, you know, really interesting question is a, a bit sort of metaphysical in some ways, but what mm -hmm. makes you you, right? Like, right. I, there's a certain uh, consistency. Like, I was still me when I was eight, and I'll still be me when I'm 78. Mm -hmm. 
and there's a continuity there. So, but I'm a hugely different person. So what? Right. What makes the person the person? Yeah, I think in all of our experiences, the book I'm working on right now um, speaks to that core. Um, I was listening with a friend. She was telling me about her daughter and how they went to Audubon Society and they went to a bird talk and she was just sharing about the talk. And I'm like, oh, well, what did, what did she learn? You know, and she just said this one side sentence of how a bird's song changes as its experiences change. And that felt so profound to me because that's how we are too. As people, we start in one place and then our experience changes and then how we respond to the next experience is foundational on that previous one. So a bird can have like a hundred different songs, which I did not know that until I started researching. And um, say they have a, they lose their nest. There's a, they sing about that. If they've lost a mate, they sing differently about that. If there's been a drought or a storm or um, they had a lot of babies or all those things, and that all changes and their songs change. Um, some songs lie. Um, I, I was thinking about that too, because um, there are, uh, there's, birds that if they're injured the the males or the females um then they're you know in in the environmental area they're they're not seen as a viable mate so they'll sing a different song to trick the mate into thinking they are who they say they are and that works with people too yeah. um you, you see that all the time That's when amazing. people get married and they're like oh well you're not the person i thought i was marrying you know and sometimes it's devastatingly bad sometimes it's just a normal change like you really do what with your toothpaste you know that's crazy or oh you lied to me through our whole engagement you are definitely not the person i thought you were on purpose so anyway um i just found that really fascinating and so that's that's what i'm working on right now um, yeah, that's a really interesting question of why we lie. Yeah. That, that, that feels like the subject of, of something. I should <laughs> sit and write that. Because most of the time, like, you're not doing it. Like, the the other person in your example of, you know, you're not the person I thought you were. Mm-hmm. They, they might feel cheated or, like, someone, you know, was doing this on purpose. And, and I guess they were doing it on purpose. But you... There's some there's some other deeper reason there yeah. besides yeah. like oh I really desperately want to get married like that's that's getting married is not a self or a selfish thing maybe it is for some people but I think it is for some but it doesn't last long that way so no. you you have to become the other right yeah. so I mean I guess there's always short sightedness but but I feel like our emotions are are a little bit more nuanced than that somehow it, yeah that. Yeah, but I think there there are some people that are very intentionally bad, and that's the path they've chosen. And um, whether it comes from a, a mental illness like narcissism, or if it comes out of um, just a general selfishness, there are some people that are nefarious, and um, that's why it's important to really get to know them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that some people just they don't. I don't. Maybe I've been married to Rosanna a long time. She's uh, the optimist in this. So I start like hearing her in my head of 
maybe these narcissists don't know that they're narcissists. They really oh. think that they want to do the right thing and the good yes. thing. Yes. And oh, yes, absolutely. And I think that's a tricky thing. I, I'll see memes for a narcissist, you know, with, like they've been plotting to. And I'm sure there are people that are out there plotting and have a notebook on how to manipulate someone. But I think it's so ingrained um, in some people that they don't realize it. Um, I think I read somewhere that 80 or 90 percent of people that have gone to counseling that are told you're a narcissist don't believe it. And um, even though they have all this evidence to the contrary, so they're like, no, that's not me. And then they, they won't accept that diagnosis. So they never get better and they don't heal because it's very hard to convince somebody that they're broken like that. So um, it comes out of a, a self-protectiveness. Most narcissists are deeply damaged and it comes out of a self-protectiveness to want to control another. Um, but then there are those people that are truly just nasty at heart and so it's it's an amalgam of a lot of different things that can happen so. but i think one of the things that's valuable i think it's valuable for me to to never assume the second but always yeah. assume the first like yeah you know uh, that chances are most people aren't just diabolical right right yes uh, yeah we're complicated and... people are super complicated yeah, and, there are those diabolical people, but yeah, those are the rarer ones, I think. But yeah. more than that, I think it's better for us, right? Because if oh, you're always looking yeah. around thinking, you know, this person has it out for me, yeah, you know, you're seeing... And that's the, that's the victim, victimized kind of mentality. It, you know, if you're really looking for that, you're going to see it everywhere. Um, but yeah, I have a tendency to always think the best of everyone's motives. And um and sometimes I'm really, really wrong. But I'd rather be a little bit wrong about that person than wrong all the time about everyone. Do you know what I mean? Just you want to yeah. hope for the best of intentions and and uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, and I think that that helps. And this could sound silly to think about it like this, but that helps write better characters. So oh, yeah. if you're an author, like understanding people, you know, the whole idea of love them the way they love themselves. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you have to understand them and you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, you know, very few people are absolutely evil and unloving and. Oh, yeah. It's. Yeah. Like it's. um. You don't choose narcissism, I, I think, in general. right? No, no, no. It's it's happened to you. Yeah. It's, it usually comes out of a deep, deep brokenness. So um, abuse. um multiple abuse, those kinds of things where, where that is a survival instinct that they've taken on to yeah. turn themselves that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and, and we see it all the time, you know, uh, an abusive parent will still buy a birthday present for their kid because they love them. You know what I mean? It's like, they're not, everybody's complicated. Yeah. yeah. We have I, layers. I read a screenplay adaptation of a book about uh, a fellow who was like, I guess, big during the 80s punk rock time. Mm -hmm. And he said that one of his biggest influences, I guess, was his stepfather, who um, was a jazz musician. And mm -hmm. it sounded like he was, you know, manic depressive and, uh. and that kind of thing. Like he said, he you know, would just beat the tar out of him, um, but then sh showed him absolute love and loved his music. So, you know. 
yeah and the, that, the it, character became self-destructive sure but he also loved music and was very passionate so it's uh yeah i mean and you know i don't know i think even normal parents can connect with that from where i sit because you go like i've screwed some stuff up not to a terrible degree but i go well, right. i could have been so much better than that and i just chose not to be yeah and it's always hindsight right yeah well sometimes it's immediate hindsight like oh. like you know i shouldn't have come off the handle because you dropped a bowl in the sink I, right or, yeah you know something like that but you know and, and I, I think i think those kinds of things are are, are are normalness so you know if you're aware of it um, an apology you know towards another person that you've hurt goes a long way um but when there's no apology and no acknowledgement that's that's where it starts to to build up because i think we all can give each other that space as long as there's an understanding of oh you know i didn't mean to yell about that or i didn't mean to re overreact and um, that's kind of a good eraser as long as it's really a heartfelt apology that's an eraser for you but yeah what were you gonna sometimes say sometimes our culture has built us to to sort of be self-defensive um, oh yeah like yes. I, i've heard people say like it, it's the whole he who you know yells loudest or first or whatever is right mm -hmm. so you know you might have flown off the handle about somebody dropping and breaking something in the sink and you can sit and self-justify that all day oh. long oh yeah and i was perfectly in my right to be angry about that mm -hmm. well, maybe you might have been right like you know you get rear-ended, you know, at the mall. Yeah. You might be right to be angry about it, but, you know, it doesn't do anybody any good. So, yeah, you know, and and a bad thing doesn't negate the fact that you were angry and a jerk, you know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, to take it to an extreme, like someone rear-ends sure. you in the mall, if you get out and you, you know, uh, punch them. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You've done wrong too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but I guess where I wanted to try to bring it back to, it's good sure. I remember things sometimes, is that when you have these characters and you understand them and you get to put them in some of these positions, like these thoughts and these expressions, these these become things that, that you actually get to put out there and people get yeah. to read. And and maybe hopefully they they have that moment where that comes back to them. Yeah, you know. well, I, I've I've been told by my readers that 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 does happen. So that and that makes that makes it worth it, you know, writing um, when you can communicate an idea in a way that um, becomes part of a new kind of a conscious idea that they'll carry with them. I think that's really powerful. And if we're writing, you know, to point out that they're not alone, they're not forgotten. That's that's huge. People need to hear that. Because um, being cut off, um, I know as a person with chronic illness, I can feel very cut off. You know, I can feel like I'm left behind and friends are going on and having fun things. And, and you can, it, it can mess with your head. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're always reaching out to other people and don't forget to do that. Because you might be the only kindness they get that week. And... Um, and that can, that's a huge impact. Kindness yeah. is a huge, huge impact on people's lives.
and that feeling left behind like i felt like mm-hmm. that was a big part of um the story and hold the light like mm-hmm. i i don't know if you wanted to speak to any of that but you know just this idea of my life has changed so much because of this thing look at all the stuff i'm going to lose yep but it's a universal experience in some ways of absolutely yeah yeah i chose the blindness one because in that i chose to talk about blindness versus uh an actual obscure illness or something because i think a lot of us um, can really identify with the idea of losing their sight that's it's a fearful idea uh not being able to see not being able to watch your kids or see the sunset or write you know with pen and paper anymore, all those kinds of things. Um, versus, or practical things like order at a restaurant. Like, right. Oh, how do I yeah. even know what you have? Yeah. Exactly. And how do I trust you to, you know, and what am I eating? <laughs> so, yeah, you have to, you have to look at all those avenues. So, did I answer your question? I don't know that it was a question exactly, oh, okay. but just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, why you would choose, why you chose blindness, you, you touched on that, but more yeah. in general, like, how that is something that we all experience in some ways. Like, I think, yeah. So like, I, I, you know, as much as I don't want it just to be, just be a discussion about writing and all that, I think we've done a good job not making it that, but Mm -hmm. one of the things that, that storytelling and fiction does really well is it takes an experience that you have that you can connect with and expands it and allows you to connect better with, with people around you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I think that's that's hugely why most people I know um, want to write versus just entertainment. They do want to make an impact in someone else's life. And I think that's an artistic expression. If you talk to a painter, or a sculptor, a writer, a, a movie maker, I know there are those movie makers that are just out to make money and that's fine but even in these big blockbusters there's usually some kind of a thread of an idea that the writer has managed to sneak in there that makes you think about something Um, and i think that's where the art lies where you're bringing yourself into that and you make it available to someone else to look at that Um, and that and then they personalize it and i that's i think one of the biggest reasons to do art is to share an idea in a way that that other person can personalize it and take it in and it might change how they look at the next situation or the next painting or the next movie um anyway like that so i wonder what the what the idea like it if something changes you what does that mean right like Mm -hmm. because if someone says oh you know reading this book really changed me but you don't see anything yeah what what is that yeah, I guess what I'm thinking is, like with the bird song, I, I'm mm-hmm. now I really want to read that. Right? Is right. an experience actually changes them in a very perceptible way if you're paying yeah. attention, and yeah. w- presumably all the birds around them recognize this change. Yeah, exactly. So, it makes a, and it's it's a big deal on whether they prosper or not. Um, so they're sharing a history, but they're also sharing a hope. I guess. Ooh, that's pretty good should write that down <laughs> yeah you should yeah but what i love about that is it starts me thinking like based on the way we choose to tell our stories we affect other people around us yeah so yeah well, I, and and you can by a statement on social media change someone's day for 
you know, dramatically the worst or dramatically the better, depending on where they're at and what they read and your tone and all of those things. So yeah, we, we can have little teeny impacts that we think are small that turn out big and yeah, I wish yeah, our angels were a little bit better sometimes because it, it seems like as soon as you said social media, I immediately go, oh, yeah, we can make people's lives really miserable. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I had a weird experience like, um, you know, Camille. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to her about Twitter. And I was like, wait, something good came out of a conversation on Twitter? I didn't think it was possible. Yeah, um, no, it, 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 they can happen. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm I'm a little bit skeptical about that but it it definitely i mean not justifiably skeptical i guess when and again this is how things get magnified right is when you hear you know social media and you know recounted through the news like the stuff that seems to get shared is the other the horrible stuff right 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 you know you know the the judgy the the screamy the cussy you know yeah. yeah you know like the the news never shares the the bits where they say you know you know, I really love you and I'm, you know, here with you, you know, to yeah. help you, whatever. Like, you, you don't get any of those really no, those aren't life-changing the one, ones. So, some of the good things go viral, you know, but uh, a lot of times it's pretty bad things that go viral. And Even or some of the, the gut reactions and where they attack everyone. Um, yeah. That's that's pretty tragic. You know, it's like, oh, she said one wrong thing and now she's lost her career and people are sending hate mail and they're writing things on her door because they figured out where she lived. You know, that's that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I haven't totally figured out how to to work around that yet. But even when you, you mentioned, you know, movies that where they write just for the sake of selling it, like sometimes the sake of selling it requires you to actually touch people on a on an emotional personal yeah. level yeah and if you don't do that if you just you know this this could sound horrible but i was i was trying to think of while you were talking like what would an example of something that doesn't connect with people on a positive emotional way but is just there to gratify the you know baser desires so i was like oh that's just pornography right like yeah. that's that's it yeah it, you know in in various shapes and forms like it doesn't all have to be what we classically think of, but just almost by definition, like a thing that just gratifies desires without making, you know, touching you in any deeper way is. Yep. Yeah. It's a selfishness too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I was going to say about, um, shine the light. Um, um, a lot of people are like, well, you have so much going on in that book. You're, you're dealing with foster care and you're, dealing with um, mental illness and you're dealing with you know, PTSD and, um, and you know, why so many things? And, and some people are like, that's awesome how you covered those many subjects. And I don't, I don't ever go into a book intending to cover, I'm going to cover four subjects in this new book. You know, I don't do that. But I think about us, and again, kind of back to that bird song idea that we have so many things that influence our lives. Um, you want to, I want to make sure that my characters are figure outable. You know, they, people can look at, see their past experience, see their current experience, know why they're reacting that way. Um, so they can gain, again, the, the empathy. I think empathy is super important to express um, for me, um, for other people. And so that's one of the reasons why my characters are not one dimensional. They don't just work in a store and then something happens or they don't just fall in love with somebody and something happens. 
and it's not all about uh, one person's um, um, impact on another. It's usually multiple people's impacts on that person. So, um, and that makes them more rounded out and more human. Um, yeah. So that's always my my hope in explaining all of the ways that somebody's been affected. So. Yeah. It's sort of like when someone says, oh, you have this, you know, PTSD that comes from your time when you had a car accident. Right. And I think, okay, well, that could be true. But more often than not, if you look back and you think, yeah, but I had bits and pieces of that kind of thing before. Yeah. And not that I had, that I know of have PTSD from a car accident, but... Well, that's definitely a thing. Um, A lot of people misunderstand PTSD, which is why I wanted to talk about it in that story, Um, because PTSD can come from, um, yes, it's very well known now. Um, It was not well known, say, for the Vietnam War and the Korean Wars and all of that. They didn't know what it was. But I I have a real empathy for... um, people that have been abused you get ptsd from abuse you can get ptsd from a a car accident like the next time you're in a car and you're going past an area where you were in a wreck and your heart rate will increase now whether you're like i'm fine you can tell your head you're fine there's nothing wrong but you're having a, a response um whether you want to or not because we're complicated emotional beings so um also, I have a great empathy for the police and firefighters because the things they see and the things they survive, they're on adrenaline every time they hit the street. You know, I have a real empathy for them facing danger constantly. And then they have to go home and act normal with their families. So yeah, that's actually really interesting because yeah. they do go through so much. Yeah. But we absolutely. want to hold them up as these p- pillars of the community and they're, you know, strong, like, you yeah, know, and they never have done anything dirty, wrong. Dirty hairy types, right? Or, yeah, or, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you don't know is they're having dreams about that kid they couldn't save, or that kid that went sideways, even though they tried to help them, or injuring another person, or being injured. Um, so that fight or flight, that's got to use people up. You only get so much adrenaline given to you at birth, and you can use up your adrenaline. And oh, if you've I didn't gone know that. through, that's interesting. Yeah, um, you can wipe yourself out and end up in a depressed state, even though you're not really depressed, but your body is exhausted and your emotional state's totally used up um, because it's it's kind of like insulin. You only get so much insulin in your in your kit when you're born and you can use it up and then you become a type two diabetic or, you know, as long as you're not born type one. Right. But yeah, we only get so much resources and then they get used up. And what do you do then? So. Well, and even if that weren't true, I think just in general and emotional, emotionally, mm-hmm. like you get to the point where you go, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done with, with whatever this is. And that sometimes lasts, you know, a day. Sometimes it lasts a week. Sometimes I think mm-hmm. it lasts a lifetime, you know, the, these people that I know that, you know, they've had cancer four times and they've been in and out of treatment for 10, 15, 20 years. So you think I'd be used up regardless, oh, yeah. you know, not just physically, like I'd be so over it. Yep. Yep. Well, I'll, I'll say, um, so um, I use a infused medication and for eight years that infused medication made me feel worse and worse and worse. Um, and I was starting to 
have really bad reactions to it. So even though, so when, when I would sit down and put my needles in, because there's four of them, <laughs> I would start to shake and I would break out in a sweat and I would have to pray my way into poking myself. And now, even though I've been on a better medication that does not do that to me, um, it makes me really sleepy the next day and sometimes a little nauseated, but not like the other. Um, even though I know it's okay, even though I know the next day I'm just going to be sleepy and I might be a little nauseated and everything's fine, I still get shaky hands sometimes. My body is still reacting to those past experiences. So that's kind of a, and I'm not alone in my support group. There's a lot of people that feel that. And I, I, if I start to feel that way, I just immediately pray and I'll put on worship music and I'll try to distract myself until I've got my needle set. Once they're set, I'm fine. But it's that getting to there. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do this. Even though I know it's going to keep me healthy, it's going to keep me out of the hospital, it's going to keep me alive. I'm like, I just don't want to do this. So there's things that cause us those kinds of anxieties that it's really hard to tell yourself everything's fine and believe it. You can yeah. know something, but your body has this autonomous response that can really mess a person up. So anyway, yeah. that's just a light one, but that's that's a PTSD kind of situation. So. Well, I don't know that this is exactly a PTSD thing, but I think that mm -hmm. there are times this goes back to the empathy and sort of being able to connect with that. When you describe the like, you know, I, I have to work myself up to it and I, you know, sweating because of it. The very first time I ever had a blood draw done, like just oh. that kind of thing, it yeah. turned out I was, I was like the first maybe eight hours of the flu. Oh. It's like I had like maybe a, a degree and a half temperature. Yeah. And like I, you know, they, and they must have taken a lot. It must have been a whole huge battery of tests because like I, you know, the world closes in and, you know, I'd couldn't sit up without feeling like I was going to pass out. And they're giving yep. me a hard time. Like we need the room. You got to go. Oh, so, that's you know, nice. Yeah. So, you know, you walk <laughs> up, you, you pay your them. bill and yeah. I'm praying through like, can I get to my car? Yeah. And you know, okay. And then you sit there and you think, okay, how long can I sit here before I know that if I get in the car and drive, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Right. And like, so in the years since then, I've had it done multiple times and every sure. single time even though like the last five or six times have been perfectly fine no right. not one problem you still get that panicked like yeah uh you know i don't quite sweat anymore but i you know if you your body you... your body knows it it's like right. you can you can be as reasonable as possible but your body's like uh-uh uh-uh you know and that's just a small thing like that that was a total right. non-issue but i feel right. like i can connect with that yeah with that yep. story and you know i would never want to say i understand exactly what you feel because there's just no way without no but, doing but you that. can without saying you know exactly how someone feels you kind of know how they feel because you might have had a kind of similar experience and so you understand that so yeah and i think that that's how it has to be right like no one's ever going to understand no. unless you've you know gone to war what it's like to be a soldier but if someone writes the right story you might be yeah. able to to find a way to connect with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes that encourages us and inspires us to sort of be better. Like, you know, I've seen your posts about, you know, all the people who donate plasma and, and these mm -hmm. kinds of things. And I think I immediately like freak out because I think I would love to do that, but I don't think I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. So not everybody's made to do it, you know? So, no, but what yeah. I, but what it makes me think is like, 
but I know that it's not a real problem. And I almost think going through that experience and learning about it and then being empathetic towards someone like you, all of a sudden you go, you know what? Maybe it would make me, encourage me, inspire me to go do a hard thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, we do make some choices. That's one of those really self-reflective things. It's like, is doing that hard thing really going to help or is it going to hurt me? And you have to be smart about that too. Cause you know, for, for you, um, s- say your, your blood draw went awry and there was blood everywhere. And, you know, uh, you going in to give blood might trigger that, that fear that you had when you were a little person. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I get it. Like, like I think yeah. that over time I've gotten over it and like, I would be willing to embrace that suffering because I know that it's for a greater good. And maybe even in a different way than if I'd mm-hmm. never had any problems at all. Yeah. Where like, yeah, I, oh, oh, yeah. I can do that. It's no problem. I've never had a problem with needles. I've never had a problem, you know. Like, I've always, I, in all my books and in life, it's it's a theory I carry around with me. And that is no matter, if you don't want the experience, positive or negative, to be a waste then you need to remember it and look at other people through that lens so that whatever you experienced doesn't go to waste. It's for a purpose. Um, And I think if you dedicate those experiences, good and bad, but a lot of times bad experiences are the things that you really need to dedicate to the Lord and give them back and say, how can I come alongside somebody else that really needs to hear that I survived this or I overcame with his help and they could too. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that kind of empathy is what I want in all of my books. And hopefully that's what comes out in the expression. And, and, you know, working with God is sort of an important part of this. I know that that sounds sort of trite and and Christian-y in some way, but like you do have to decide whether, sharing that story with someone else is going to be good for you and good for them or not. Yes. You have to do it intentionally and with great wisdom and, and prayer. Um, And no matter what I write, um, I was just talking about this the other day, somebody, Oh, there's, there's been a lot going on in the news and social media about writing experiences that aren't your own. Mm. Um, You're writing outside your culture, writing outside your experiences. This Um, is the RWA uh, partly that uh, and then and then there was something more recently uh with a gal that wrote a book um that was on the new york times bestseller yeah. and um so i think you know that one too yeah. um so it, it, i think you if you haven't experienced exactly what you're writing about you need to find some people that have and have them vet your story so um i'm not mexican-american but I made sure to vet those portions of my story and shine the light with somebody that was married into that family that was Mexican American and say, does this seem realistic? Does this seem, you know, what you would experience? And um, uh, say, if you're writing about abuse, find safe people in your life that um, are on the other side of that abuse on the other side of healing and say, you know, can you read this scene? Is it too much? Does it trigger you in a bad way? Or is it being honest in a safe way? Um, Because that's always my goal is being honest in a safe way that's not going to hurt somebody, um, or bring up a bad experience or trigger them to um, fear or doubt or any of those things. 
to be honest without hurting someone. And you can only do that if you vet that those bits um, with people that are actually experienced in them. I had a friend who's dealing with mental illness um, in a very serious way, read Shine the Light. And was was that okay? And I the feedback I got from her was was yes, um, it was accurate, but it wasn't um, over glorifying or dramatizing something that wasn't real. Um, it, just like I had the scenes with the Mexican American, Cuban American family vetted. Um, just like um, Shannon, she's um, half Thai, so I talked to people that are a blend of cultures and said, does this ring true? You know, so I think that's important to do. I don't, I don't believe in the, if you haven't lived it, you shouldn't write it because then there wouldn't be any books um, and no experiences shared and no research done. And, and it's, that's very selfish to me. Yeah. Um, I, I will also say yeah. you know, to any reader writers listening is the, finding the right person to do that vetting is hugely important because oh, there's yeah. some people that will just, this isn't right. And this isn't right. And this is right. And they'll just crap all over. Yeah. Yes. What yeah. You're, it, what absolutely. You're you find a safe person that they're safe from what they're going to read from you, which means even if something is triggery, it's not going to harm them. Um, and also that they are a safe person that you trust Um in your writing life that can give you honest feedback and that you know that they're actually being honest. They're not shining you on, but they're also not going to, like you say, crap on your story and tear it up and say you can't ever do this. And you have to be very careful to vet those people. I absolutely or even agree. like trying to change your voice, right? Like, yes, sometimes they, yeah. oh no, this isn't the this isn't the way this would have been for them. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, there there because there's a limit to how unfortunately real we can be sometimes right oh, yeah yeah um and you know I, I will say like your your experience with the you know mexican cuban family like i'm not either one of those but i did have an italian family and except for the specifics like that i think rang true there and i, I would imagine mm -hmm. that you know it would it would be similar with an irish family or you know even a, yeah. an african family potentially like that yeah it's not the same, but that slight tweak of difference is is important. So in some ways, yeah. like the specifics are important, but the general there's a different set of priorities happening. Yes. In those yeah, families I agree with yeah. Is yeah. Yes. So you have to be specific, but you also have to be general, right? And that's yeah. that's such a hard a line. line to walk. Yeah. 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 Um and like um with um hold the light. Um I didn't have anybody in my life at the time that was losing their sight, um, I thought. And then one of my, I want to say beta readers or critique partner, turns out, yeah, she's losing her sight. And so she was able to, um, I was able to give her information and she was able to give me feedback in a really rich way um, so that when it went out um, and I had a contact at the Oregon Con Oregon Commission for the Blind, um, I didn't know he was blind. And I sent it to him and I said, um, I wanted to give a copy, et cetera. And he preferred the ebook because he couldn't read it. And I went, oh. And then Rosanna and I had talked about um, an audiobook. And so um, he listened to the audiobook. His wife 
um, who is cited, um, read the book and they both said, yeah, spot on. And there's no better feedback for a writer than to go and hear, yeah, you were true to that story, even though you're not blind um, or you're not losing your sight in this, you know, but you were really true to that. And that just feels awesome when you can be yeah. true to someone's story and, and represent them well. That so. was what I loved about, uh, I don't know the, if you've read it, it's a, a YA that, well, mm-hmm. it's not out yet. So you would have to have gotten a, an early copy of Olivia Smith seeing voices. No, not yet. Well, it's just, well, she has is in a car accident and it causes her to lose most of her hearing. So oh. there's so many little things where you go, that's just so true, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not in my experience, but when you hear it like that, you go, Oh yeah, that's the way obviously it has to be. And I would have never I would have never thought like that that it would be like that. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I wish I could come up with a specific example, but it's just it's it's how much you don't have the perception and and this and that. So right. not only do the, the in that case does the deaf and hard of hearing community connect with it, but the rest of us go, oh wow, I see that. Uh, you know, the example, the opposite example was you know she had read a book where you know a, a deaf person was reading lips from across the room, and she's like, <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. Right. So you know you've got to be really careful. Like being deaf isn't a superpower and no. being blind yeah. isn't a superpower, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was really careful about the, the sounds and the smells and I just had to read people's accounts of what that's like. Um, because you, you don't actually get a better sense of hearing or a better sense of smell. You just start relying on those things more. And so they feel better, but they're the same as everybody else. But yeah, cause I've seen movies are like magical, you know, their new sense of, whatever they've lost their other senses become you know hyper realized and it's like no that's not really what happens but yeah the yeah. same idea yeah i mean it sounds really it's really interesting and it could make for a you know fun story but if you're really trying to you know create that empathy that we try so hard to do it's probably not yeah. going to do that no it's not going to give you a true vision exactly yeah thank you for joining us today for our talk with april mcgallan for more information about April, please check out the show notes for links to her website, blog, social media, and book. And if you check out our website, whitefire.tv unexpressed, you'll find a link to the Portland Rescue Mission and the unique work they do there that April had mentioned in the interview. Please check them out. And if you like what they do, consider making a donation. This podcast is sponsored by Read Whitefire. There you can read the first two chapters of any Whitefire Publishing Group company's books. And if you like what you read, they're available for purchase in print format, as well as electronic formats for all the most popular e-readers. Some books even have signed copies available. And if you're a listener of this podcast, there's a chance you're a good candidate for Platy People, our membership program for unique readers. For just $5 a month or $50 a year, Platy People members get to choose two free books per month, a free novella, 15% off all purchases, including gift certificates, and free shipping to U.S. addresses. Why choose Ordinary when you can read Extraordinary? Unexpressed is part of the Whitefire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv slash podcast to find other shows we know you're going to love.